Welcome back to another edition of Sport Media and Tech. On this episode, we spend time with Anne Gaffigan of Dimensional Innovations and Phil Van Horn from Data Robot, talking about how this technology is evolving, and we'll explore how it's revolutionizing the data we use to make decisions and create experiences. I'm very excited to introduce to you Anne Gaffigan. Uh, Anne Gaffigan, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. It's a little gloomy here in Florida, but uh, no complaints. We're, we're happy it's uh, warm and uh, just hanging, hanging out here in quarantine. Now, uh, we also have, um, we're going to go here and, and, and talk about where you both work here in a moment. But now, Phil, Phil Van Horn uh, has joined us. How are you doing, Phil? Afternoon, Keel. Doing well, thanks. All right. Now, share a little bit, where are you both located right now? I'm in Kansas City. Okay. So, heart of America, nice and sunny here. Oh, Ann, I'm a Midwestern native, Indianapolis. That's beautiful, Kansas City. But I, I live where my wife was born and raised, and that's in the uh, Pasadena area. I can look down the street and see the Rose Bowl, and when there's a concert or a game there, Jeff, when the, when the Wolverines are playing there, I can hear that echo up the canyon to the backyard. That's how close we live. That's a Jeff, I'm pretty sure the Wolverines played the Huskers there. You know, that, that, is, that is a great uh, fight song, isn't it? It's just, you know, and, and let's call it, Ann is a, is a Husker, so she's now in the Big Ten, so she's in the family. Uh, and we're looking forward to those games uh, every year. Now, Ann and Jeff, could you share a little bit about, you two know each other and, and have been colleagues. Could you share about how you met and, and how Ann uh, found herself here on this podcast today? Yeah, so um, I've been involved with USA Track and Field's Athletes Advisory Committee since 2006. And what that is, is a committee that um, serves the purpose of being the minimum 20% representation of the athlete voice in the governing body of USA Track and Field, which is something that was mandated by the Amateur Sports Act in 79, Jeff? 78. 1978. And um, so I got involved in 2006 and um, served through this year. And I'd say, oh, I don't know, six or seven years ago, um, this guy started showing up in our meetings with a lot of questions after which he would make a lot of notes. And that was Jeff Porter. And uh, before long, he was our vice chair and then our chair. And so when he was elected as chair, I was elected as secretary and that's how we, really got to know each other because we, we and the other officers were working together so often on a regular basis and just can't say enough about how great of a leader uh, Jeff is and how great he was to work with. We had a lot of fun. We got, we got a lot of stuff done. Um, so yeah, that's why I'm here and glad to be here and good to see you, Jeff. Always a pleasure, man. Yeah. You know, we, we talk about with our students the importance of relationships and networks and how people that you meet, you know, circle back throughout your career. So mm -hmm. it's great to, to share this example here on the podcast. And, uh, you know, the next question that I want to ask both of you is just how did you get your start in sport? And, you know, tell us a little about your journey to, to where you are today. Well, um, I can't really remember not being in sports, to be honest. My older brother and sister were. And um, I think I would credit my gym teacher in elementary school with being a track athlete because we used to do the mile every year and it was timed. And I figured out pretty quickly that I could beat 
just about everybody. And I think by fifth or sixth grade, I was beating K through eighth grade boys and girls. And so I knew I, I had some kind of ability there, even though my first love was soccer. So, um, you know, I just continued to have success as a high schooler, followed in my older sister's footsteps and um, was lucky enough to um, win several state championships and and turn it into a scholarship opportunity as a collegiate. So um, my favorite part about being a collegiate athlete is I was able to be the first group of women that competed in the 3000 meter steeplechase at the NCAA level. So my freshman year, which the spring season was 2001, was the first year that they had that event for women. It was the last event in track and field that had a men's counterpart, not a women's. It had always been a men's event. And for whatever reason, it was just the last event that they hadn't added for women. So before it was even an Olympic or world championship event, it was an NCAA event. And um, I was a part of the first crew to do that, which was really fun. None of us knew what we were doing. We were all figuring it out as we went along. Every race was a PR or a school record. Um, and um, yeah, by the time I was a senior, um, that, that year was 2004, the summer of 2004. Um, the steeplechase was still not in the Olympics for women, but they did have it as an exhibition event at the Olympic trials. And I qualified for the Olympic trials by the skin of my teeth at the NCAA championships and um, went in there ranked 12th out of 12, um, had a total zone day in the zone. Um, everything happened at the right time. And I set an American record and won the Olympic trials. So that kind of set me up for a nice, short but fun career in professional track and field and um, led me to serving on the Athletes Advisory Committee and, and meeting people like Jeff, so. Well, my story, very similar, an athlete, grew up in an athletic family and uh, baseball in Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, went to Ball State and uh, not two years in, suffered a career ending injury which did me a favor. That was God's way of saying, get a job and pay attention in class. <laughs> and uh, I started working in uh, sports media, uh, worked in uh, network sports at uh, CNN, Turner Sports and ESPN uh, for about 25 years. And, uh, uh, and then crossed over to coaching uh, in, in really a, a very fun transition while working in the television industry here in Los Angeles. And have bounced back and forth from being on the field to the business of the business, uh, gosh, the last uh, three decades, and uh, confused by that and blessed by that at the same time, uh, have really enjoyed that. And that, that's where I find myself now, is, is that conduit that has one foot on the playing field and one foot deep into analytics and into AI and the business of uh, analytics in all forms of sports and entertainment. So, so, Phil, who is your favorite baseball player? I do have to ask that since uh, since you coached, and I see the uh, oh, yeah. I see all the baseball memorabilia behind you. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, well. Let's see. This is Willie Mays when he was 17 years old. They played uh, for one of his dad's friends with the Birmingham Black Barons, and this is the 100th anniversary of the Negro Leagues. And this is Jackie and. Uh, my wife and I do a lot. She was born and raised here at John Muir High School, same high school that. Uh, Jackie and his brother Mac, who is a USA track star as well, uh, they went to Muir and we do some things at Muir, John Muir High School. And uh, so we, we got those because the uh, celebration of the Negro Leagues. 
My favorite player probably overall be two guys, maybe Joe Morgan, Hall of Famer, and Dale Murphy, who's borderline. I lived in Atlanta for 15 years, and Dale was a friend, great guy. Um, Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Hicks for the Yankees grew up uh, – uh, Stanton grew up in our neighborhood. I taught him to hit when he was younger. And Aaron is a close family friend. So if I didn't mention them, especially Stanton, but I'll say my favorite baseball player is my son who reached AAA level with the uh -huh. uh, Giants uh, as an infielder. And then I have another young man from my neighborhood who's headed off to play at Stanford this year. And I've been around him since he was 11, 12, 13 years old, Drew Bowser. So those are all my my favorite players. You'll have to come to Kansas City and check out the Negro League Baseball Museum. Ooh. Oh, and, and Kansas City, Mike Moustakis uh, as well. Family friend. I recruited Mike to USC good. when I was a coach there. So love the Royals. A lot, lot going on with the Royals. It's really good right now. Yeah. One of the my, my questions that I really want to kind of dive into is that you both talked about this a little bit, but I kind of want you to expand a bit more, is, especially for our students. One, what is AI, right? We hear it a lot, we talk about it a lot, and people's understanding of AI is typically what you see in movies. And then a second question is, how are you working with AI or how have you seen AI being developed here moving forward? That's a great question. I feel like we use AI, we can use it as a really broad term. And, um, you know, it's kind of morphed, you know, the way we use language, it's morphed in maybe its original true meaning. So. There are several different types. Um, for example, machine learning, which is um, you know taking a, a whole bunch of data and analyzing it for patterns, and um, you know it's a little more straightforward, maybe. I think when we think of artificial intelligence as you know as we see it in the movies, you know um, you know future um, futuristic thinking, we think of you know a robot that can take over the world and um you know that we can't shut off and that has become fully intelligent and all of those things and so um there's a vast array of that and there's um i think the goal of artificial intelligence and where we're trying to get is figuring out how our incredible human brain actually works you know and so reverse engineering the human brain and how we are able to basically see examples of things in the world and then apply that to other situations that are different without a, a without needing you know reams and reams of information to do so you know a, a kid a little toddler who can't even say cat and dog yet maybe can tell the difference between a cat and a dog pretty quickly whereas you have to feed a computer a lot of images before it can do that so artificial intelligence, I think the way that we use it today is a very broad term for that runs the gamut from analyzing a lot of data and being able to find patterns up to kind of futuristic view where we're trying to continue to get to uh, being able to model the future, um, different scenarios and make decisions based on those scenarios. That's a really good description. Um, you know, it wasn't that long ago, I, I've been with the company a year, that I got a call to say, Phil, we want to talk to you about coming to work at a company that does AI. <laughs> now imagine that, right? Imagine that. Here's what I did. I went online, YouTube, love it. And I tracked down a company in India that does animated whiteboards that most simply explain deep learning, AI, and machine learning. 
and they, I didn't want the half hour, 45 minute hour version. I wanted the 12 to 15 minute version for my short attention span. AI is a lot of things and it's nothing to be uh, intimidated by. Um, it can be used a lot of different ways and is used a lot of different ways. When you hear people use the term modeling, they're often meaning or predictive modeling. They're probably talking about artificial intelligence, machine learning, deep learning. So how I got into it is how anybody else could. You know, go on YouTube and take a look. Find I, I worked hard to find very specific uh, videos on YouTube to teach me. That was my teacher. Now, I've had to pass a class and take a class with other analysts and developers and, and data scientists since then. So we've got a little bit more beyond the surface. But it's a think of it this way. Artificial intelligence is something they should not be intimidated of, one. Two, it's a gradual and continual learning process. What AI is in about six months or six years, uh, that's a really good question. Don't be intimidated about it for this reason. AI needs humans. There is drift or bad data or most accurate and least accurate data. And it's always going to need a human to come back in and kind of give it rails and make sure it's within the boundary of accuracy of what, where we're going, what we intend to do. So that's what it is to me as a conduit, someone who speaks common language to other common language people in our industry. How do you use it? How do we use it at uh, Data Robot Sports is two ways. One is player development or athlete development in training and competition to create efficiencies and accurate data that gives conviction in training and performance. And the same is true in business development. Business development can be uh, marketing mix models, what's most effective, where do we spend to get the most out of it. It can be season tickets. There are, uh, you know, all the way from a, if you're an NBA team that has a four game season ticket package to going through your corporate suite or NFL uh, often, they'll, they'll look at corporate suite to see are they getting the most out of how they're utilizing their strongest assets. So AI for us, how we use it is really a, a handful of different ways. And because we're involved in lots of different kinds of sports, gaming and entertainment, there are a wide variety of ways, but just think of performance or athletic development and then business development. Yeah, that's a great overview. And, and I think to, to help kind of whittle it down a little bit, I guess, um, curious if you have any initiatives or projects that you've used uh, AI or machine learning. Um, you know, I think it's one of those things, you're right, people are intimidated by it and they hear it and it's very sci-fi-ish. And it's also very buzzword-ish, right, in the business space. You know, everybody wants to pivot to AI and, and do things with that. And it's kind of, uh, it, it's the buzziest of buzzwords uh, now. So kind of curious if there's any projects specifically that you've been involved in or seen um, that have really used this in a, in a practical and, and valuable way. When you were saying that it's used in as a business buzzword, I was thinking of blockchain and how it's kind of the same thing where, you know, let's make something AI with blockchain, you know, and it sounds like, oh yeah, let's raise a ton of money to do that. What does that really mean? You know? Right. Um, and how are we going to have the computing power for it all? <laughs> um, a couple of different ways we're using it right now. I'm going to try to be general in discussing what we're doing um, just to, just to fall in line with my NDA. But um, so one area that we're looking into using um, more, I would say more machine, machine learning than AI is in um, 
analyzing the people in a space. We work a lot at Dimensional Innovations with spaces, interactive spaces, making it really fun to be in a space, um, making the layout understandable and fun and beautiful and all those things. And so part of that is, okay, great, you know, this is what we thought, but how did it actually work out? So analyzing where people go, how long they stay there, what they do, um, and trying to predict, you know, what would be more optimal for that space um, and what was successful and unsuccessful. So that's one area where we're um, doing a lot of work with data analysis and machine learning for, for prediction. Um, another area is kind of think about Siri, but as a storyteller, that's more visual. So being able to go to a place like a museum or um, maybe a customer experience center or any place where you're there to learn or have someone present and being able to have um, a screen or even a hologram of a person from the past maybe able to have a conversation with you. And I could actually point you to, there are some studies and some examples of this featured on 60 minute episode but basically, if you can take enough footage from somebody that maybe is deceased still, but we deceased now, but we have video interviews with this person, we have a lot of content of them talking, you could actually set that up and feed a system to the way where you could have a conversation with them. It might just have to stay fairly simple. Mm -hmm. And so to feel like you're going to a museum and you're and you're seeing, you know, a famous baseball player. Um, and being able to talk to them about the past and, and what their experience was like. So we're looking at those kinds of things too to really enhance the experience in those types of places. Well, like Anne, 99.9% uh, .9 of what we do is non-disclosure. Uh, disclosure. So I'm, I'm gonna give you a couple of uh, instances and I'll, I'll be able to mention one organization because they've uh, given us permission to do that. You know, uh, you use it a, a lot of different ways. Um, Think of it this way. So DataRobot is the enterprise leader in AI globally. Um, it's all we do. It's the only thing we do. There are others in the space, of course. Uh, it's, it is a product that opens up all the grunt work in the middle of the process. So here's the data entry, an entry level analyst or analytics or uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and take a spreadsheet and can feed it into our product, hit start, and then on the other end comes out the result or the problem solving or the layers of problem solving. That's really what I've learned over the last year. There are the multiple layers, especially when you put it in the hands of a senior data scientist, the multiple layers of problem solving. All right. And, and data robot is that, that thing in the middle that goes ahead and, and, and uh, creates hundreds of models and or uh, uh, we'll go out and, and look at a, a hundred different algorithms, show you in hierarchy the top uh, eight to 10 or 12 to 15, it'll blend them together. So now that's about as techie as I'm gonna get right here, because, so, but it, it shows you how different things can go. But I'll use an example with Major League Baseball. We have some baseball clients and Major League Baseball in the sports industry is as about advanced as it gets. Not that all of them are, but because that's an industry standard now and, and some of the case leaders are really pushing themselves. One of our teams does a billion, that's with a B, a billion models a week in season. 
And it's not because they're really bad or really good. They're just trying to have total conviction of where they are in their winning arc with their organization product on the field right now. They want total conviction about where backward looking over the past two years decisions they've made and what that means over the next two years on a wide variety of issues, including putting a number on player value and then what that means within baseball standard evaluating players financially on the field and, and, on, and off the field. So that is player development. That's what they're trying to really understand. There's another aspect about that that I can't talk about. And then another baseball team, and I can use it, the Boston Red Sox are probably an, an example of, and it's really one of the most fun things. And if you go to our website, Data Robot, or you Google Data Robot, uh, bostonredsox.com, you'll come upon a free webinar. And Red Sox Vice President of Analytics, John Hay, did a webinar with one of my teammates, Ari Kaplan, and he explained how they use it in player development, business development. And then he got away from player development, not to give away secrets, but to show us how they drilled down into customer segmentation. Now, the Red Sox understood and understand today sociology in Boston and New York, or in New England, and how much the Sox are a part of that social fabric, right? I mean, common thing. But what the Red Sox realized is they needed to uh, make a, a huge differentiation. In fact, they resegmented all of their season ticket packages based on different factors that they knew but didn't know so specifically. Using AI there allowed them to be far more convicted about here are their corporate suite clients, potential clients, and here are their college student four game season ticket, eight game season ticket. But what they learned, and, and John laughs about it in the webinar, is just how much they understood, yet AI allowed them, they completely rebranded all of their internal labels on the groups that they were marketing and then how they marketed to them. So that's one example in baseball. In soccer, one of the organizations uses us totally about on-field efficiency. And you guys may know if you followed the English Premier League, MLS, the Women's League, Bundesliga, anything over the last six months, one of the major revelations in Liverpool that's done so well, they are an analytics organization, but one of the revelations about soccer is that some of your players need to come off. They need to come off the field. Don't pull your blessed guys out there and live or die with them. And Jeff, think about that in football or other sports is that they're gonna go ahead and pull them up because they, there is a level at which, in fact, I believe they found a specific minute at which in the second period that some of their lesser players became far less efficient in their runs, when to make runs, and how, uh, and then of course the other big revelation is about possession of the ball, not so much because it put them on the offensive, but because if we possess the ball, the other team doesn't have it. They cannot score. So there were a couple of really basic revelations about that. And of course, there's a lot more to it than that. But that's how, you know, some of our clients are using it and some of the case studies we get in the middle of. Absolutely love uh, the examples that both of you have shared because it crosses between not only the experiential aspects of sport and fans, but business intelligence and decision-making and not only decision-making uh, for, uh, you know, the, the revenue generating side, but decision-making for wins and losses and performance on the field or in the court uh, or on the court. And, you know, there's something else that 
I'm going to bring up because in a, in a, uh, one of our next episodes, we speak with a company that works with social media data that they aggregate and leverage that to find the opportune moments, right, to reach their, their fans. So when I hear both of you share these examples, I think of there's an ecosystem building where we can start in the future. We're going to start transitioning into the future where we see this going. But there's an ecosystem where you can start taking the data of performance on the field, looking at it from a business intelligence standpoint, and then inject that same data through some of the experiential assets that you're working on and as well to engage people at the proper moments with the right interactions to inspire sales, inspire, inspire sales of say a product like beer in a stadium when we're all back in the stadiums, right? Or, or inspire season ticket sales, when are the right times? So where I'm going with this is I'm curious from both of your perspectives, where do you see in the future of the industry between venues or streaming or, um, you know, broadcasters, reporters, how are they going to use AI to advance the industry? Oh, man, the possibilities are endless. I mean, I think when you look at, um, if you look at the data analysis and machine learning aspect of it, there's a lot of things in there. In addition to what Phil talked about, um, you know, how can we uh, optimize ticket prices or concession prices? Because maybe there's, there's certain games that people aren't as likely to come to. What, at what price point are, they, are you going to put them over the edge? Um, and versus, you know, how far can you push the envelope for those games that everyone wants to come to, right? Um, I could see on-demand highlights becoming a thing. I mean, I think about the way that we can now use voice-activated controls in our houses, on our devices, on our TVs. Um, it's funny, I, I sometimes ask my daughter to be my parents tech support just to see how she'll suggest to do something because the way that she's learning how to use tech is so different than my generation so one day my my mom was on speaker and she asked how to turn the captions on and i said jalen tell grammy how to turn the captions on the tv and she said you hit the microphone button and you say turn captions on <laughs> and Amazing. Apparently that works really well. It understood my mom. I wouldn't have suggested it to her because I would have thought, okay, the thing's probably not going to understand her and then she's going to be really frustrated. It worked great. I mean, these, these recognition, um, voice activated recognition is getting much better. And so I can see, you know, a future where we're like, let me get, let me get that last goal again. And you get to watch it right on your phone, you know, or can I order can I order a root beer and some fries, you know, um, that kind of thing where voice activation and being able to pick up on people's, you know, just a few words, understand what they want and be able to serve it right up to them. And people love things now, 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 you know, um, I think in terms of the player performance, along with some of the things that Phil talked about, um, we could see some smart tools that are predicting injury or illness before there are really any symptoms any strong symptoms. Um, I don't know if y'all read the articles really re recently about the whoop band. Is it called whoop? Um, that a golfer was wearing. I think it's W-H-O-O-P. It's just like a Fitbit. It's that type of band. Um, I think they're heavy on analyzing your sleep. And there was a golfer that had been wearing it and he had been tested for COVID as a part of the procedure of that tournament, tested negative. 
and then maybe a day or two later during the tournament woke up and his whoop uh, wristband told him that he had an elevated heart rate. And so he went in and got tested again. Sure enough, it was positive. He didn't have any other symptoms, no other indicator that he was sick. I know Garmin is doing a lot of studies with their data as well. I mean, just think how much data a company like Garmin has um, with everybody wearing their devices and, and how they're able to turn that into actionable items that can, that can prevent things before they get too far down the road. You know, and... Uh... Everything you just said is true. In fact, there was a big conference this past week uh, with uh, some of the WHOOP executives uh, and a couple of others in the space that are doing the same thing. Uh, it's amazing uh, how quickly that may become very common. In fact, it'll probably be another app on the phone here before you know it. Mm -hmm. uh, when, when you say where this is going, you know, one of the things you described, there's a company called WSC-Sports that does real-time highlights right now and has relationships with the NBA and the PGA and I think LPGA. And, and it's, uh, it's AI driven. I'll, I'll give one of my longtime friends, David Gavant, big shout out there. He's in business development for WSC. They're in New York. If you go take a look at wsc-sports.com, you'll see the future of what you're talking about is about a year, a year and a half ago. Hmm. And a lot of where they're going is instructive to the question you just asked, Keel. And now, the, for, for us, we're always asking this question because the, the future far outpaces and happens so quickly, quickly. We're getting product cycles in three and four months right now, only because, uh, and, and you know, I have two answers. It's, it's a niche, very tiny, and it's a morphing that's driving all of these product cycles that are four months at a time and the competition and if you take the idea of merge and morph with uh, live sports, being a fan at live sports, having your cell phone, uh, playing fantasy sports, sports betting and doing real-time prop betting all at the same time, you get a lot of where there's a lot of money in that space, chasing that space right now. And, um, you know, the mainstreaming of sports, the mainstreeting of sports prop sports betting and the business of it since the onset of this viral thing uh, has been amazing. Because if you take a look at the gaming and entertainment industries, the gaming industry, there was just an enormous difference, really black and white. Online, you were fine. Offline, you had real problems. In fact, in all of the gaming casino business, I believe one of the shining examples was in Oklahoma, the Cherokee Nation, they're so efficient and well-run in what they do. They were able to pay their employees. They, they really didn't have many problems at all. But that is an exception in that industry because most of the entertainment industry stopped existing for a good 60 to 90 days at least. And a lot of mom and pops are going to be totally wiped out in that industry. Uh, but if you're in that merging of uh, esports, fantasy sports, uh, gaming, and, uh, and any form of that, you're right where uh, there's a lot of money. Uh, and a lot of governments are trying to figure that out. A lot of funds are trying to figure that out right now, along with a lot of venture capitalists. You two, uh, you know, 
to a layman in this space, you guys uh, really get me excited about the possibilities that AI and machine learning have for the industry, uh, for marketing, for selling, for, and my favorite thing is for player and athlete development, right? There's so much data that's collected, right? We know, as an example, uh, Nike works with universities, they work with elite athletes, and they collect a tremendous amount of data on just about everything that encompasses a sport performance, right? Um, mm -hmm. And it's talked about the whoop band, because I had one of those, and it, it did exactly that, right? It tracks your sleep and then lets you know when you're off, especially it's highly useful when you're traveling overseas, right? You have those eight-hour flights, and you're trying to get used to those different time periods and then getting ready to compete. So the opportunity there, I think, is, is endless. But I think one of the questions that I have, especially when you feel you brought up with the idea of sports betting, that becomes a very interesting conversation of, you know, what risks are there with AI, right? This seems like there's opportunity there, but when anything with there is an opportunity, there are challenges and a potential serious risk involved with that. So one, Ann, why don't you go ahead and start about, start talking about that idea of what risks are, are there. I'm excited to hear about that as well. Yeah, well, um, you know, while we can very much turn a lot of data into a predictive model, it really is a model that shows what is most likely. It's not a model that can ever fully encompass all of the factors that can happen. I mean, what do they call it? The butterfly effect, you know, butterflies, the flutter of a butterfly's wings can set off a huge chain of events that's completely unpredictable. Um, so, you know, I may be naive, but I guess like, you know, if the question is, are the risks that we could have so much data that sports betting is no longer fair? I don't know. I think it could be a false sense of, of confidence. Um, you know, when you talk about analyzing a player and, you know, what is the value of, of replacing that player with someone else on the team and vice versa, and you look at all kinds of data, like their stats, their age, um, you know, their plays, their errors, and all of that. Um, what about the intangible factors? You know, like, well, if you take them out of their hometown where they've been having such success because they're, they're, everybody comes to their games and knows who they are, and then you take them from Boston over to Oakland, and they don't thrive well in that environment because it's so different from where they were, and you know, they're not from that area and all of a sudden they're not performing. And so I think um, it also reminds me of this study I read about um, computers that were, the AI that was able to, um, uh, what's that game? I, it's escaping me, Go, that was able to master that game called Go. And um, the paper detailed out how the best chess player or go player is actually not a computer and not a human but a human aided by the computer so that combination was what was so powerful because yes the data is super helpful and much more insightful than what we can do on our own but it still doesn't fully match or replace the capability of our brain to think about all of the different future scenarios and what could what could happen what might happen what what kind of emotions might be evolved those intangibles that we're talking about so i don't know um anybody that anybody that would say hey i've got this model now i can just kill it in the sports betting world i think it might be a little bit of false sense of confidence you know jeff to follow up on that i'm going to ask you to ask me another question because that, that's that's fairly broad 
and our AI software makes big numbers vast, quick, and granular. So, but you asked more of a philosophy question. So how would you ask that again so I can give you a better answer? Um, well, her, Anne's last statement, right? We're talking about sports betting and because there's so much data and you, you always looked at, for example, like the player development side, right? You have how many, how many, how long you spent on the field, what your position is at that point where you're coming up where your stats are, et cetera. And, you know, you can take all that data and, and put it in a sports book and you can have a conversation about, you know, what your chances are likely, right? You can make the book based on that information. The question that I have is, are there challenges with that information as you just use that as the, your sole decision-making process? What other risks are there associated with just using that piece of information to make all of your decisions? Right. Yeah. There's, there's a lot, there are a lot of ways to answer that. I'll, I'll just say this, that that conversation in baseball between the owners and the union is ongoing because teams want to monitor everything. And think of this for some of the guys from the Dominican, they've had those guys monitored all aspects of performance, any aspect of physiology, biomechanics, since they were 16. And they get to the big leagues when they're 26, 27, and play till they're in their early 30s. You know, half their life is here in data. Now, who owns that? And what are, what are the risks of that? How can that be, you know, turned against the player in negotiation? Sure. So there, there's, there's, a, there's a lot to that. I, there, there's a lot to that. And that's going to be an ongoing thing. That's one of those things where new product is going to morph, niche product is going to become another niche. There's a lot of that in this space that we're talking about in player development, player health, and player training. And one of the interesting things uh, about player training, you guys probably enjoy this. It was on a very futuristic call yesterday, I think, with a company that's doing some really amazing things. They're taking a lot of player training in all sports and removing all aspect of sensors and just putting like uh, an iPhone on one side and an iPhone on the other and their product. Oh gosh, I probably should have said that. <laughs> okay. We can, <laughs> we can it. edit that. We can edit that. Yeah. <laughs> No worries. We're not live. We're not live. So Don't worry. They, they are simplifying dramatically yeah. that research space. Oy. <laughs> so, so here, do me a favor, Phil. Start from the top of that statement, and then we'll just keep rolling from there and just say, yeah. Oh, no, no leave, leave it in. Your students need to hear that. That's, that's real. It's hard to filter while you're talking sometimes. <laughs> That, we're safe. If, that, if that's as far as I go, we're safe. And it's nothing that's not out there anyway. So we're okay. That's Thank awesome. <laughs> Next question, please. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's interesting. And, and you talked about, you know, the, the player of go or chess, you know, being a combination. I feel like we're about 20 years into this conversation in sports about, you know, like the money ball era and, and analytics versus scouting traditional. And it's funny that it's been around so long. And I think I would say it's almost uh, agreed on now that a, that a melding of the two is what the best organizations do, where they, they're not reliant only on analytics or software or 
or just traditional scouting. You know, I think uh, there's some NFL teams, I think, especially like Philadelphia Eagles, who've really done that and instituted that. So that's a, that's a really interesting point. Um, I'm going to shift gears a little bit to uh, this space kind of professionally. And both of you guys have really interesting, varied backgrounds. And, you know, if you're talking to somebody who says, you know, I see the value of this, uh, it's really interesting. Um, I'd like to be involved in this moving forward in my career. What would, what would the advice be to somebody, maybe if they're just getting started or, you know, maybe if they're, they've been in the career for a little bit and they say, this is the, the wave I want to ride. Um, what advice would you give to people for uh, learning about it and then, you know, being more involved in it professionally? Oh man. Um, it is a, it is an industry that changes every day. So um, keeping up with it is probably the number one place to start is to find your source of information um, to follow the advancements. Um, uh, there's a podcast I listen to called A16Z. Um, I'm going to just double check that that's right. Yeah, it's Andreessen Horowitz um, website is a16z.com. It's a great podcast to keep up with, not just AI, but um, all things tech. And I like their kind of bite size podcast format. Um, they stay pretty much between 15 and 30 minutes and you can really stay kind of up to date on a regular basis of what the latest is. Um, I also love Recode Decode with Kara Swisher. It's a great tech podcast. And I kind of like to start with, you know, um, my core sources of information and then wayfind from there. And then in terms of getting into career man it's it's one of those it's one of those industries that's um it's so new it's it's difficult because they want they need they need people with the experience and yet it's hard to get a foothold on the experience because it's not an established you know it's not an established um as much of an established industry as other things so but you can take machine learning in school you can take classes um you know, you can use sites like Udemy online, U-D-E-M-Y, to get a better understanding and then seek out the organizations that are utilizing it and get your foot in the door. You know, organizations like Phil's, um, we're dipping our toes in it in various aspects and the sports organizations themselves, you know, but I think if you can come in with an understanding enough to ask the questions and um, be a part of the thought process, then you can you can wiggle your way in. Uh, that's what I would say. If you're someone who's coming from a different background and didn't major in that in college or already have that experience professionally. Well, I'm going to partner on what Ann uh, just said. Think, don't think of the, the name she said, but her process. She listens to a podcast. She has a, a valued information sharing organization she's part of. So uh, DataRobot, datarobot.com, I believe it has the most uh, sheer number of data scientists on the planet, I think. It was started by a couple of actuary data scientists in the insurance industry about a half dozen years ago. And there's a, an, a competition of data scientists called Craggle. Anybody familiar with that at all? It's, it's a competition that the brightest data scientists created uh, and to spread open source and to challenge each other. And there are age group and male-female levels of competition winning, all that kind of stuff. And we have a uh, data robot community that if you really, or if you're into analytics, you want to go deep. I mean, there's a lot of information there and it's free. And uh, 
and do do what Anne did. I mean, get a podcast that's valued. Get another weekly or you know twice weekly email list that you're on. I I you know I eat them up. I I have four or five in a week. Uh, podcasts and emails on uh, sports tech and and sports uh, investment. But mostly, uh, here's what's amazing about it. Um, you could go work for the Orlando Magic as an, an analytics entry-level job. And of course, you got to have some skill to get that. But <clears throat> three or four years later, you could be working for uh, Google, Twitter, YouTube. Um, in fact, that one of the things that's most interesting with, with experienced data scientists, I believe they're turning over somewhere between every nine months to a year and a half just because they're in demand right now. And uh, there's a joke in our company that our com company helped create the demand because there's so many of them from all over the planet that work for our company. And you know, we, were, we were dealing with a company in, the, in, in Malaysia and they're, they were outsourcing to some guys in Turkey that knew the guys that were part of our company in Turkey. And they were saying, we want that product. It, it really is global and uh, but that's, you know, that's the short answer. Just get on YouTube, find something in AI that makes sense, and who you follow on social, you know, uh, just it, it requires focus. There's a that that's a fact. One of the most amazing things about my colleagues I work with is because of their extensive focus deep into a niche, they are such remarkable problem solvers. But that only happens with a really keen focus over a long period of time. Yeah, um, you know, as you were talking, another thing I was thinking is, uh, you know, it sounds so silly to just say this so broadly, but learn how to code. Um, specifically, specifically taking courses on in Python, um, which definitely has machine learning libraries, and I think it's a fairly fairly visual language, not in terms of how, I mean, you're typing code, it's not a visual coding language, but it's visual in that uh, when you look at it, it doesn't look as foreign as some other coding language. It's very popular these days, used for a variety of reasons. Um, and I think that might be a, um, you know, a good door to go through to kind of, you know, find some courses online, do some, do some examples and see how, you know, when you input a bunch of data, what that output looks like um and what you can how you can manipulate it using a code um, a code language with libraries like that yeah you both provided some really great resources i, I like um you know and you started with podcasts i think that's a great way to find just regular like you said digestible like little nuggets of knowledge and then phil you shared youtube um, there's a ai machine learning series uh hosted by robert downey jr uh, that's pretty good. Uh, and then um, there's also Pluralsight. So, I, you know, I want to encourage the students to look at Pluralsight. Uh, it has what you're talking about, classes where it will, you know, teach them how to do Python coding or other languages, Java, et cetera, SQL for databases, things. So, uh, so that's where, you know, I want to, um, we're, we're reaching our time for the podcast. So first and foremost, I want to thank both of you for, for being on today and sharing with us. Thank um, Jeff and Mark, and uh, we end with a tradition. We ask that our guest speakers just look right into the camera and share some advice with the students. So 
Um, I know, Anne, you had mentioned, and I do want to call this out, I want to ask the students to look at the GTP3 news that's, that's, that's going on right now. There's a lot of updates there in terms of content creation. We will cover that in class, but I just want to ask both of you to share kind of a, a leaving lasting message with them for their careers. Oh boy, all right. Well, I'm gonna make a general uh, statement as opposed to anything specific to AI or tech in term, for my advice. And my advice would just be to always remember that you're completely in charge of your life and your path. And so if you wanna do something, you're gonna have to figure out how to get there. You're gonna have to open the doors yourself. You're gonna have to go seek out the information. You're gonna have to talk to the right people. Um, you're gonna have to take the risk. Um, you're gonna have to do the work. And so, you know, everybody, myself included, uh, my friends, my family, at some point we can get kind of stagnant. Inertia is a very strong force. And um, you can feel like, man, is this, is this all there is? Is this what my career is going to be? And when's someone going to give me a chance? And when's the next big thing going to come? And uh, man, I thought I'd get a raise by now and I didn't. And I just want you to know that that's actually on you entirely. And you're going to have to have the hard conversations and go after that yourself. And so just remember that when you get into a rut in the future, which will happen more than once. Wow, <clears throat> that's good embark get a job <laughs> when i was in the entertainment industry i got approached a lot about i'm a writer i want to write a book or screenplay i'm a director i want to produce direct feature films i always said the same thing embark don't go make an hour and a half two hour film make a 12 minute one that's really good and if it's not that good go make another one if you're going to write and when people come to me about wanting to write a book i would say the same thing good write it and then as I read it, I'll go ahead and direct you to an agent or an editor or someone to take a look at it. So if you're looking to get into AI, uh, Python R, learn to code, program, embark. Go start, do it on your own. YouTube's phenomenal, the amount of information's there. And if you wanna do something like this in sports AI, I mean, I'm part of a podcast called Double AI, a podcast on the business of analytics and sports. We're pretty generic. We're not too techy. We're always trying to give you analytic ways that teams and organizations are making sense in the business of sports news. So whether it's really deep into the technology of AI or kind of surfacey, but just trying to figure out how to utilize it wisely for efficiency or to, for discovery, there are way, a lot of ways to do it, but mine is embark, get started, go. And that's a wrap. Join us next episode with Asaf Nevo from Pico 